This is episode 111 with two-time best-selling author Michelle Seiler Tucker. Welcome to Pencil Leadership. I'm Chris Anderson, success and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help you live to your full potential so you can leave a positive mark on the world. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. Vince Lombardi said, hope is not a strategy. And Robert Kiyosaki said, always start at the end before you begin. Today on the show, we have the very knowledgeable and successful Michelle Seiler Tucker. She's the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker, the business authorities, as well as the USA's top closer. She has 20 years of experience and over a thousand businesses bought and sold. On top of that, she is a two-time number one best-selling author, a speaker, and a TV and radio host. She also has her new book coming out called Exit Rich. Now, Exit Rich is a must-have guide for all business owners, whether they're gearing up to sell a business now or just starting to build their company to sell for huge profits in the future. And she actually joins forces with Sharon Lecter, finance expert and co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. In this episode, we are gonna be talking about the ST GPS exit model and the six P's to make sure your business is growing to be able to sell in the future. And if you find anything in this episode valuable, make sure to share it with someone else so they can get that same value. And if you haven't, head over to Apple and subscribe and leave a review with what you like most to help us get this message out to more people. And now let's hop into learning about how to plan our exit strategy with Michelle Seiler Tucker. Before this, before mergers and acquisitions, I used to be in franchise sales, franchise consulting, and franchise development. But I noticed that I kept saying no, no, no all the time because new buyers would ask me for existing businesses. And all I had was franchises and they didn't want to buy a franchise. Franchising is not for everyone. So one day I just kind of woke up, Chris, and said, my gosh, why do I keep saying no? I should be saying yes, 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 you know, law of attraction. Right. And that's when I really decided to start my M&A firm so that I could kind of have a one-stop shop. I could still do franchising, franchise sales, consulting, development, but I could also sell businesses. And then I learned very quickly that selling businesses is very different than selling new franchises. And then I also learned that what Steve Forbes says is really true. And Steve Forbes actually endorsed Exit Rich. He says eight out of 10 businesses will not sell 80%. So that's when I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't fix these businesses, grow these businesses, tweak these businesses, put them on a build to sell program, then I'm going to starve to death. And so that's really when I started my buy, sell, you know, fix, grow. So I buy businesses and flip them. I partner with business owners, investing my time, energy, resources, capital, and expertise. And I put them, I fix their business and then I grow their business and put them on the build to sell program where we can exit in three to five years. So I really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing companies and over 20 years of experience. So these companies you come in, they have with the end in sight in five years to sell those businesses and get out. Is that correct? They don't have the end in sight. I help them gotcha. <laughs> plan <laughs> that end in sight. I help them plan what we call the GPS exit because most business owners really have, and that's the number one reason businesses don't sell is because most business owners really have never planned their exit strategy. They don't think about selling until they have to due to a catastrophic event occurring, rather internal or external, internal being health issues, partner disputes, divorce, death, unfortunately, 
And then external is this pandemic that we're all in right now. And the worst time to sell your business is when you're in a catastrophic event, when you're in the middle of a crisis, because your business is going to be trending down, not up. And the best time to sell your business is when your business is doing well and when your business is in its prime. So I work with business owners to really plan that STGPS exit model so that when they're ready to sell, they actually have a sellable asset because many business owners are like, oh my gosh, I got to sell. And by the way, I need $10 million for my company. (laughs) And I'm like, how did you come up with that price? And they go, well, that's what I need to retire on. (laughs) That's what I need to buy another business or pay for five girls' weddings or whatever it is. It's not based upon the value of their business. It's based upon what they feel they need to move on. Interesting. Okay. And so, like I said, I'm super intrigued with this topic just because I haven't thought about that, you know? And so nobody thinks about it. I mean, nobody, (laughs) like I got a call from a sweet little old lady not that long ago that says, Hey, can you sell my husband's business? He dropped dead from a heart attack. He didn't plan to drop dead from a heart attack. He left her with a mountain of debt and he had been in business for 45 years. And when I started asking her questions, he had no people, which is the first P and the six P's. He had no people. He had subcontractors and all the data was in his head. When he died, the business died. So there was nothing to sell. So business owners really have to shift their mindset and they have to stop thinking of their business as their baby. Mm -hmm. You have your babies at home, go home and kiss and hug on your babies, (laughs) turn your business like the valuable asset it is and plan your exit from day one of starting or buying a business so that you actually have a sellable asset to sell when you're ready. Yeah, I like that. And we're going to definitely hop into that. But you mentioned kind of people basing their value of their business on what they need to retire or survive after they sell. But what would you say a business's value is actually based on? How can you get to that number? Okay, so a lot of things. Okay. A business is really based upon You know, there's six different methods that we use to evaluate a business. One of Mm -hmm. the biggest methods that we use that nobody else uses is the six P's. Okay. And the more that a business functions and drives on all six cylinders, the more valuable they're going to be and the more synergies they're going to build and buyers buy synergies. So the six P's really increases value. Also, EBITDA. The higher the EBITDA, typically the higher the multiple. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Okay. So with the six P's, I know you mentioned just a little bit ago, the first one is people. So having employees or can they be subcontractors as well or a mix or? Yeah. So let's talk about people. Do you want to like dive into the STGPS exit model first before we go into the six P's? Because it makes more sense that way. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Then we'll come back. We'll circle back to the six P's then. So the STGPS exit model. Chris, when you want to drive somewhere, you pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps and what's the first thing you plug in? Where we're going, the address where we're going. The destination, right? Yeah, yep. And if you don't have a destination, what happens? (laughs) You're just going to waste a lot of time and gas. That's what happens with business owners. Yeah. (laughs) They don't have a destination. They don't have an end game. They don't have a desired sales price. So they drive around in circles. They drive up and down the financial hills to end up nowhere. So the first thing I want business owners to think about is that destination, that desired sales price, your end game. What do you want to sell your business for? Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of business owners get hung up because business owners don't plan to fail. They fail the plan. So I don't want you to get hung up on the number. I want you to just pick a number. So let's say you want to sell for $20 million. Great. It's a number. You might hit it. You might not. (laughs) So $20 million is your destination. Now what does a GPS exit model need to know? Uh, Needs to know where you're starting from. Where you're starting from, what's your current location? In other words, what's your current business evaluation? Mm. What is your business worth today? Now, Chris, 
I've been doing this over 20 years, met with thousands upon thousands of business owners. Most business owners never, ever get a business valuation. They never have any idea what their business is worth. We go to the doctor once a year to get a physical annual checkup to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. We drive our car into the mechanic to make sure we get an annual tune-up on our car, but we don't get an annual business valuation checkup. That's financial suicide because your business should be your most valuable asset and there are events that increase valuation and there are events that decrease valuation, like this pandemic we're in has decreased the valuation of many different industries. So you must know what your business is worth every single year. And you must always get a business valuation checkup, an annual business valuation checkup. Where can people go to get an annual business valuation checkup? Well, they can come to Seller Tucker. We specialize in that. Perfect. A lot of CPAs don't really specialize in valuations. So if you're going to hire a CPA, you got to make sure that you get a CPA that's familiar with business sales, what okay. buyers look for, because our valuations are very different because our valuations take into consideration what buyers are looking for and what buyers are willing to pay top dollar for and what buyers will pay a higher multiple for certain synergies. So every year you got to get that business evaluation checkup. Now, let's say you want to sell for 20 million and you're currently worth 5 million. So now you know your end game, your desired sales price, your destination, and you know where you're starting from. The next thing you need to know is time frame. You know, in a GPS exit model, you know, when you drive somewhere, what does it do? It tells you how far it's going to take you to get from point A to point B. Same thing with the exit model. So let's say you want to get there in 10 years. Okay. So we want to sell for 20 million. We're worth 5 million. We want to do this in 10 years. The next thing you need to know is who are my buyers going to be? Now notice I said buyers, not buyer. I have clients that come to me all the day, all the time and say, Michelle, can you represent me with this one buyer. And I'm like, sure, <laughs> but let's put the business on the market at the same time because the likelihood of this one buyer actually closing on the sale of your business is slim to none. Remember, 80% of businesses don't sell. So if that buyer backs out, where are your backup buyers? Never want to put all your eggs in one buyer's basket. You always want to have backup buyers. Plus, how do you create maximum value when you're not creating competition? If you have one buyer, you have no competition. So there's five different types of buyers. You need to find out what buyers are right for your type of business. So if you're trying to sell for $20 million, 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. You're not going to sell to a first-time buyer because they're going to buy a small business like coffee shops, restaurants, yogurt shops. The second type of buyer is turnaround specialist. They don't buy $20 million companies. They buy distressed assets. Gotcha. Then the third type of buyer is private equity groups. Pegs. They buy based on platforms and add-ons. Okay. A platform, I'll just give you a quick example. Yeah. Let's say they want to be in the manufacturing, food manufacturing space. And they're not in the food manufacturing space now. That's called a platform. They won't even consider a company unless it has at least three to five million dollars in EBITDA. EBITDA means earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. An add-on is let's say they're already have a food manufacturing platform and are looking for smaller companies as an add-on so they can grow through acquisitions. Then they'll look at add-on companies under a million dollars in EBITDA. And then the fourth type of buyer is competitors slash strategics. They typically pay the highest multiple for synergies, especially strategics, because they're buying synergies that can help catapult their current business to the next level. And okay. they look to see how they can take advantage of economies of scale 
and how they can cut operation cost. Meaning if I have a manufacturing company for sale that has a distribution center, and that distribution center is costing the company $5 million a year, and this buyer is manufacturing and they have distribution all over the United States, the first thing they're going to do is cut the distribution and cut $5 million a year, which increases their EBITDA from day one of buying the business. Hmm. And then you have the last type of buyer, which are sophisticated entrepreneurs. They're industry agnostic. They chase EBIT cash flow. Okay, so that's your five types of buyers. So it's almost kind of like you have to, <laughs> like when you're doing a business, figure out who your target market is. Same when you're selling, like who's your target buyer? You couldn't have said that better. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> yeah, no that's what I always say. You know, when yeah. you go into business, you figure out, okay, this is my widget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who is the target market to buy yeah. my widget? Okay. You know, and then you build to meet their, that specific client's needs. Same thing with your business. Yeah. And so the next thing you need to do is you need to reverse engineer it, your plan, and figure out, okay, where's my financials need to be? If I want to sell for $20 million and I'm worth five today, where's my gross revenues need to end up? My cost of goods, my EBITDA, where does the EBITDA need to be? The EBITDA, if you're going to sell for $20 million, you need to have between four to $5 million in EBITDA. Okay. Wow. And then you need to figure out what are the buyers looking for? Like you just said a minute ago, yep. you know, and then build your business to meet their specific criteria so that you can maximize value. And then the last step in the GPS exit model is my why. Why do I want to sell a business for $20 million? Chris, if it was easy, every single person <laughs> would be selling a business for $20 million. It's not right. easy. Right. So you need to have a powerful why to keep you in the game, to keep you motivated, to keep you weathering all these financial storms that are going to come mm. our way. And so that's really the GPS exit model. But do you see how this is a step-by-step -step blueprint Yeah. to help build your exit strategy? And think about it from the beginning versus thinking about it when you're burnt out, you're tired, and you're ready to sell. Yeah. Part of the journey is the end, right? And so having a plan to get there. Right. And you can tweak your plan along the way. It doesn't yep. have to be set in stone, but you just got to start somewhere. Absolutely. And that's really interesting to have that mindset just with... It's all about mindset. It's yeah. all about mindset, right? It's like 90% yeah. mindset. So is there... skill? Is there like a marketplace that people go to just looking to buy businesses or is it like just word of mouth networking? It depends on the size of business. If you're selling small businesses like restaurants and coffee shops and laundromats and dry cleaners and things of that nature. Yes, there's lots of different sites. And even for maybe low metal market, there's lots mm -hmm. of different sites like Biz by Sell, Biz Quest, BusinessBrokers.net. There's lots of different sites. When we're selling businesses that are 50, 60, 70 million dollars and up. Not so much. We don't really use those sites. We use other larger type sites. Okay. Plus, we already have 28,000 buyers, five of the different types of buyers in our database. So we market to our own database first and foremost. And then we pull strategic list. Yeah. So when you sell a business, does the transition there, so if that business had, so basically is it just like the C-suite level people change or just the owner, founder of the business changes or does everything get overhauled? Do you keep the employees or... I guess that's what I'm curious about. Most business owners want to keep the employees. I mean, mm -hmm. buyers do not want to buy a business without employees, which brings us into our very first P, people. <laughs> oh, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. So people are huge. I mean, most buyers will walk away from a business if it doesn't have the right team in place. Okay. And the number two reason why businesses don't sell is because the business is a thousand percent dependent upon that owner. I take that owner out of the business. There is no business. Yeah. 
You know, I had a dentist that called me. He's been in business for 50 years. One dentist, three dental hygienists, and the three dental hygienists are his family members. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, we can sell your business, but the sales price is going to be tied to or connected with how long you're willing to stay with the business. So if you're willing to stay two to three years, then it's going to be structured as seller financing or as earn out or something like that. I said, but you have to stay. And he goes, well, Michelle, I'm not staying. I'm burned out. And I said, well, if you're not staying, then the patients won't stay. So right. it's up to you. And that's what we're trying to prevent. We're trying to prevent burnout. We're trying to get mm. the businesses sold for business owners before the owner burns out and just says, I can't do this anymore. Because yeah. when that's the case, then you really have nothing to sell. Like in the case of the construction gentleman who dropped out of a heart attack. So mm. people is number one. And the biggest issue that I find with entrepreneurs is they think that they have to control everything. <laughs> they control freaks and they want to do everything <laughs> themselves. And the problem is... In order to grow, you must let go of the control. So you have to focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses, and put the right people in the right seats. But you don't build a business, Chris. You build people, and people build the business. So you have to have the right people in the right seats, and you have to ask the who question. Who opens the door? Who handles customer service, legal, marketing, accounting, You know, manufacturing, logistics, transportation, environmental? The clue here is Chris should never be next to the who. <laughs> right. So every listener right now should sit down and get a pen and write down every who in your business and write a name next to it. And it should never be you because mm -hmm. you cannot build a sustainable, scalable business with you. Yeah. So what do you say to people who are starting out who maybe don't have the budget to hire and bring people on their team? Sure. What's kind of your first thing to get those people? Yeah. So everybody's got to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of things that you can do. You can get 1099s okay. and you can pay them part-time. You can pay them per hour. And those you are can, for contractors, correct? For yeah, those who 1099 don't okay. for contractors, you know, depending upon if you're in a construction business or what type of plumbing business or what type of business you're in, you might have subcontractors like the construction company did. But you can definitely start out with 1099s, number one. Number two, interns. Mm. And interns are great. I mean, because... Think about it. What do they really learn in school? <laughs> I hope the professors are not listening. Uh, right. but, but I mean, they learn theory in school, but they don't learn tactical. Yep. So I'm lucky because I'm in between four different colleges and uh, we have nice. a wait list for analyst and marketing positions. And everyone that's ever done an internship here has said, Michelle, I've learned more here than anywhere else and learn more here than I've ever learned in college. Yeah. No so interns. You can get interns and interns can be unpaid interns. It can move to paid interns. You know, we even have interns that move into permanent positions, mm. you know, because okay. we like to train them the right way. We like to grow them up. Yeah. And so interns is perfect, but you got to start with people. You've okay. got to have people in your organization because if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. Yep. And if you're trying to sell for $20 million, obviously you're going to have the money to hire people then. But you right. got to also make sure you have that layer of management in place. So you need that chief operating officer, that chief financial operating officer, that CTO, et cetera. You got to have a layer of management because the business wants to make sure, I mean, a buyer wants to make sure that the business has a good, good, solid management team in place. Okay. No, that's great information. Starting out, like I'm still early on in the journey. And so like thinking of these things and like as bringing on more people or and building that team, it's an exciting thing for me. But yeah, that kind of supports the end goal of like, if I ever do want to sell this or need to sell this, like 
having that team in place is so important. And you should not see, I'm going to correct your mindset right okay, there. Perfect. Do it. <laughs> you should never say, if I want to sell this, if I ever decide to sell this, if I, no, you should always build your business with, I'm going to sell this one day. Okay. Because the more that you work on building a business that's sellable, the more it's going to be sustainable, the more it's going to be scalable, the more it's going to be profitable. Even if you don't and, sell it. And even if you don't sell it, but here's the bottom line. Nothing lasts forever. Right. What goes up must come down. And mm -hmm. you heard about the man that dropped down a heart attack. You don't yeah. want to leave your family in a horrible position to where they're in debt and your business can't be sold. Yeah. So you always want to build your business to sell because nothing lasts forever and you want to set your family up for success. No, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> so when I do sell, yeah, building it to sell. That's good. So, yeah, so because this is your retirement fund. This could be your nest egg or this could be a great... A great stepping for you because you're young. You know, a lot of young entrepreneurs want to go out there and create their next masterpiece. Mm. That's a good point. Good point. So build to sell, get that mindset. The first P for that is finding the people, building that team. So what's the second P? I know there's six, right? There's six. And okay. the second P is product. So product is huge. Really, really big. I would say people is the most challenging P of all. Okay. Because it's very difficult to get the right people in the right seats and keep them trained up and keep them yeah. motivated and keep them in place. And people is the hardest P. Product. So product is your industry, your product, your service. You need to ask yourself, is my product on the way up or on the way out? Mm. Is my industry product thriving or dying? Do I have an Amazon and I'm in my prime at the top of my game? Or do I have a blockbuster and I'm about to go bust? <laughs> right. And unfortunately, a lot of industries that were once thriving are now dying. Mm. And let me just give you a little bit of education before I dive deeper into this. Okay. Piece. So when I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, in 2013, I did the research and learned that 95% of all startups will go out of business, right? Mm -hmm. The first one to five years is the most risky. You know that. Everybody yep. knows that. That's common knowledge. But here's what y'all don't know. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and 2020 with Sharon Lecter, I did the exact same research. And I learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped. It's hmm. changed dramatically. And that's before this pandemic. Yeah. So now only 30% of startups will go out of business. Only 30%. So Startup huh. Nation, this is a great time for you to go start up these businesses. Yeah. And so within those one to five years, you only have a 30% chance of going out of business. However, out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of them are going out of business. Hmm. Now, you hear about the big public companies all the time, like Toys R Us in business 75 years, goes out of business. Yep. Steimer, out of business. Pier One, Montgomery Ward in trouble. J.C. Penney's in trouble. Jim Marie. Yeah. Goes out of business. Godiva Chocolate, our favorite chocolate store, mm. closes up 1,500 locations. GNC closes up 900. Radio Shack. But these stories are just focused on public companies. They're not talking about all the private business owners on every street corner in every town in every state across our great nation. These business owners are exiting poor, not exiting rich. They're mm. selling for pennies on a dollar, closing their business, or worse, filing bankruptcy and losing their business assets and personal assets because most business owners pierce the corporate veil. So the reason I talk about this in product is because the number one reason why business owners are going out of business after being in business for 10 years is because they stopped doing what I call AIM. A-I-M. Mm. AIM is always innovate and market. 
always innovate and market. They stop innovating. Toys R Us did nothing different in 75 years. Blockbuster yep. sold Netflix. I had the opportunity to buy Netflix. They sat yep. back and happy, did nothing, and now are out of business. Yep. So the name of the game is innovation and marketing. So in product, in your industry, you have to really ask yourself these three questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? And Amazon said, we're in a book selling business. We fulfill book orders. And then Amazon asked themselves, what do we do really, really well, better than everybody else? What is our mm -hmm. USP, yeah. our unique selling proposition? And Amazon said, fulfillment. Yeah. We're better at fulfillment than anything else. And so the next obvious question, Chris, is what business should we be in? Mm. And Amazon said, oh my gosh, it's like a light bulb. We should be in a fulfillment business. We yeah. shouldn't just be fulfilling books. We should be filling products for everyone in the world. Those three simple questions, which are really not simple when you really start thinking about them. Right. These three questions is what transformed Amazon, because these are transformational questions, transformed Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So products, you always have to innovate. Yep. You know, you can never, and that's the problem with business owners been in business 10, 15, 20, 30 years. They're not innovating. And so they want to hold on to their original idea. You're either growing or dying. There is no in between. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. So you got to ask yourself those three transformational questions. That's right on with AIM. Absolutely. Sorry to jump in there. No, I was just going to say, and you got to ask yourself those three transformational questions. And here's another P for you. Pivot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I was about to say that. Yeah. yeah. So the next P, the third P is processes. Okay. So processes can make or break your company. And most business owners don't think of processes just like they don't think of exit strategy. They don't think of it until there's a catastrophic event that happens in their company or there's an upset customer and they're like, oh, we need a process for that. Yeah. Well, by then it's too late. So you really should plan, you know, think about your processes from the beginning. Here's okay. where most business owners get this wrong. Processes should be designed with the customer experience in mind, mm. not with the owner's agenda. Yep. And so did you ever watch a movie, The Founder, based upon the McDonald Brothers? I have not yet. No. Ray Brock. You got to go watch The Founders. All your listeners should watch The Founder. So back in the 50s, McDonald's brothers said, we want to create a fast food restaurant. We want a fast food system processes designed around the customer experience. Mm. We want the customers to experience great tasting food that's hot and fast, 30 seconds or less. Mm. So they designed all these processes and it took them, you know, a long time to do it. They went out to the tennis courts, drew out with chalk <laughs> the processes and moved around. Wait till you watch the movie. Oh, yeah. And so even though the process has been tweaked along the way, you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the same experience. So mm -hmm. a lot of business owners are designing the processes based upon their own agenda. Have you ever dealt with a company and you have a problem and you've had to talk like, to five, six, seven different people to resolve your problem and you have to yeah. repeat your story like seven different times. Right. You're like, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Or you call the bank and you got to go through like 12 different prompts to get yep. to talk to somebody. Or you try to go to a doctor's office and it's, you know, and their hours or Monday through Friday from nine to five when you're working. <laughs> yep. Or a chiropractor's office is Monday, Wednesday, Friday from nine to 12 and then three to five. And then Tuesday, these hours and Thursday, these hours. They're not thinking about the patient. Right. They're thinking about their own owner's agenda. Mm -hmm. So here's the bottom line. 
if you don't create processes around your customer experience to develop happy, raving fans, then your competitors will do it for you. Your choice. Yep. But your processes must be designed with the customer experience in mind to generate raving fans. Plus, they must be productive and efficient and documented. Here's where most Mm. business owners get this wrong, too. Lacking policy and procedure manuals. You know, you got to have those PPs. You got to have SOPs, standard operating checklist, employee handbooks, non competes, employee contracts, et cetera. So it all needs to be well papered, especially mm. if you're trying to sell your business for millions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, even starting out, your processes of like just how you connect with people, your sales process, your program course process, if you're doing that, I think all, all types of processes. Every you need. single one. Now, this is, you know, I told you people is the most challenging. Uh huh. Processes is probably the most painful (laughs) (laughs) because it's really painful to write down the processes for everything. But you also should have a policy and procedure manual always open. So, you know, when something happens, you're like, oh, that's good. We need this process documented. And so processes are really living, breathing Mm -hmm. thing in your company and you need to continue to add to it. Yeah, that's a good point for sure. And it helps you be able to duplicate things. Like you said, McDonald's, you get the same experience everywhere because they can give those processes to those right. new franchise owners there and they can just follow the prompts, you know? So, And McDonald's can also replace somebody and within 30 minutes have somebody retrained right there at the front <laughs> yep. because they're SOP checklist. I mean, it's so, you know, foolproof, dummy proof. Yeah. Yeah. You know? mm. So people, product, processes are the first three. So what's the next one? So the fourth P is proprietary. So let me give you a quick crash course in evaluations. Yeah. Businesses that have under a million dollars in EBITDA, earnings before interest tax, depreciation, amortization, will trade from anywhere from one to three, maybe four multiple if they have a lot of proprietary synergies, proprietary assets. Businesses over a million dollars in EBITDA will typically go for four, five, and above depending upon their proprietary assets. So proprietary is the number one value driver of any of the other P's. Okay. So you need to build your proprietary assets. There are six pillars to proprietary. I'll go through them rather quickly. Okay. But branding is the first one. So remember how I talked about designing your processes around a customer experience so you can develop raving fans? Every wow customer experience when you, you know, create a wow customer experience moves you up the branding ladder. Okay. Every unwow customer experience moves you down the branding ladder. Gotcha. And there's five steps to the branding ladder. I'll go over them really quickly. The first step is where 95% of all businesses live. Okay. It's called brand absence. Mm. This is where consumers don't know who you are and what you do. Yep. You need to get out of brand absence. (laughs) All right. So the second step is you go from brand absence to brand awareness. Mm -hmm. This is where consumers are at least aware of you, what you do and who you are. And then you go from brand awareness to brand preference. Brand preference is I prefer Coke over Pepsi. And then you go from brand preference to brand insistence. Brand insistence, you know, look, before this pandemic, I used to speak all over the country and I stay at different hotels and I would always ask at lunch, can I have a Diet Coke? And they're like, is Pepsi okay? No, Pepsi is not okay. <laughs> if Pepsi was okay, I would have ordered Pepsi. <laughs> so brand insistence is where you say, I will only drink Diet Coke. I will mm. never touch Pepsi. 
That's Brandon's systems. Okay. Like I will only use Apple. I won't yeah. use anything else. Gotcha. And then you go from brand assistance to brand advocacy. When you go to brand advocacy, when you move to brand advocacy, your business is on fire. You got so much money rolling in. This is in your prime. So brand advocacy is when somebody else is selling you. Mm. It's always better when someone else sells you than when you sell yourself. So brand advocacy is when you say, hey, Chris, go Google this. Hey, Chris, go Xerox this. Chris, chill out and have a Coke. (laughs) So that's brand advocacy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Everybody else is selling you. Mm. Everybody else is selling you. That's where you really want to get because the more well-branded your business is, the more I can sell your company for as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. Okay. Meaning, does anybody want to pay any money for Blockbuster? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. But you will for Amazon. Yeah. Right? The most valuable brand in the world is? Ooh, I don't, uh, I don't know. Apple. Apple? Okay. Well, $359 billion, oh, the wow. B. And that's before EBITDA, cash flow. That's before inventory, real estate, furniture, fixtures, equipment, assets, AR, et cetera. That's just a brand alone, $359 billion. So build your brand. Yeah. And the other thing that's very valuable under proprietary assets is trademarks. Mm. Trademark your company name, your slogan, your logo, your podcast. I trademarked Exit Rich. I'm shocked I was able to get it. And I'm not just talking about a state trademark. This is where most business owners get it wrong. Most business owners go set up a business in Texas and they go get an LLC for Texas, a trademark in Texas, but they never check the federal database to make sure that's available. They'll go to GoDaddy and say, yes, Mm. I got the domain. Now I'm going to go get the local trademark, but they never check the federal database to make sure it's available. I've worked with business owners for decades where I've seen them receive cease and desist letters where they have to stop using that company name. They hire an attorney, they throw a bunch of money at it and they lose. Mm. And then you have to start the branding process all over again. So spend the $1,500 to $2,000 and get a federal trademark. And then that's not just for like your USPs, your company name and stuff. That's also for products, Chris. We have a business that we're selling right now in the $60 million range. And they have 12 different products. And each product has a federal trademark. And each product is exclusive to Walmart. One's exclusive to Target. One's exclusive to TJ Maxx. <laughs> this is extremely valuable. Strategics and competitors will pay more money for this. Yeah. Same thing with patents. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, every single investor asks every single investor, do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent? In fact, their offers contingent upon that patent, right? Mm-hmm. Contracts are extremely valuable. Manufacturing contracts, distribution, vendor contracts. Contracts that have exclusivity, franchisor that has franchisees. The most valuable contracts of all are client contracts because mm-hmm. buyers want another buying a business that has revenue coming in. Yep. Especially those contracts that have a subscription model, they have reoccurring revenue. Buyers will pay more money for that. Now, here's a caveat with contracts. Out of the thousands of businesses that we've done valuations on, that we've worked with, that we've sold, I've never come across a business owner that has the two sentence transferability clause that says this contract is transferable on a new entity. So 99% of all sales in the U.S. are asset sales, not stock sales. So if the buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale and the clients don't agree to consent to transfer, your whole deal could fall apart. Mm. Or worse, there was an M&A firm 
that sold to a private equity group. The private equity group had their due diligence team do due diligence, but nobody looked at the contracts. They have 1,500 franchisees. So the private equity group threw this whole celebratory party for the franchisees. The franchisees didn't like the private equity group, so they decided not to transfer. None of the contracts were transferable. One firm transferred over. The rest did not. The private equity group filed bankruptcy within 90 days. Yikes. So they sued their entire legal team and won. (laughs) Wow. So then the other proprietary asset that will bring you a lot of money if you do it right is databases. Mm. If you continue to nourish your clients in your database and they can be retargeted and repurposed, you can sell that for a lot of money. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. And WhatsApp, were they making money? No, they were hemorrhaging. But they had a synergy. They had a billion users and Facebook knew they could monetize an ROI on that. You know, so databases can be huge. We're, that's what we're talking about right now, our synergies. And then celebrity endorsements. Mm. You know, Sydney Crawford is a spokesperson for Rooms to Go. You don't see her endorsing any other furniture line because <laughs> she will lose credibility. Jennifer Aniston is the it girl for Avino. Mm-hmm. She only endorses one skincare. Oprah, we have a client who has her products in front of Oprah Winfrey. Strategic competitors will pay a lot of money for that because they want to get their products in front of the queen of everything. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And then same thing with radio personalities like Glenn Beck, Kid Kodak Show, you know, all these different radio personalities. They can only endorse one diet company, one skincare company, you know, one educational platform because otherwise they lose credibility. And then e-commerce businesses, for any of my e-commerce businesses, they can get on the first page of Etsy, Wayfair, Modern. Amazon, eBay, you know, those top positions. That's prime real estate that strategics will pay a lot of money for because it's hard to get those positions. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So that's your proprietary. You build okay. up proprietary, you build your value. Definitely. I think with that, if you're not thinking about selling, then you're going to, I think, miss a lot of these along the way to implement. And then when you get there, it's going to be like, uh, well, crap. It's going to be too late. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why so many businesses are selling for pennies on a dollar, closing their doors, they're falling bankruptcy because they don't think about this stuff. And so that's why I wrote Exit Rich, you know. Um, the, the next P is Patreons. That's P number five. This is your client base. And most businesses follow the 80 20 rule where 80% of their revenue comes from 20% of their clients. So they have customer concentration. Instead of customer diversification. So it's, look, I'll give you a couple of examples. We had an oil manufacturing business we sold and it had 70% of its revenue tied up in the BP contract. So there was nothing we could do about that. We just had to search for that buyer in a haystack. You know, we ended up having 550 buyers interested. (laughs) We narrowed it down to 12, got 12 letter of intent, but every single letter of intent had a caveat in there where they were structuring the deal to the BP contract. So if they lost BP, then they would lose the biggest piece of the purchase price. And so we found one buyer that was a strategic slash competitor, and they had been trying to get in BP for years and can never get their feet in the door. So they said, look, we want this company. We want to outbid everybody else because they knew that if they're already in BP, they could get their other products and services in there. So it could catapult their other business to the next level. So this business appraised for $9.8 million for 100%. They outbidded everybody and offered $15 million for 70%, huh. which was 126% more than the appraised wow. price. 
and they ended up buying the business. Wow. So that doesn't always happen, which is why I want clients to try to focus. We had another company, a marketing and advertising firm, and they had five clients, only five, you know, and we were selling them between 10 to 15 million and they lost two accounts, two clients. Now, the reason they only have five is because they have five of the biggest casinos. Mm, But they lost two casinos during the sales process. They dropped half revenue, half EBITDA, more than half of EBITDA. And they still had to keep the talent on to service the other three casinos. So they were not sellable anymore. We ended up merging them with another media company. Gotcha. Okay. So build that client base. Yes. You diversify. And then if you've been in business, Chris, a business been in business for 20, 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. your clients are probably aging out. Mm, True. So you have to start replacing your clients with, you know, generation. So instead of baby boomers, generation X, millennials, et cetera, but millennials don't buy the same way that baby boomers do. Right. So you have to appeal to that generation. And I always say whoever makes it easier for the consumer to do business with your company is the one who's going to win. Amazon is winning because you can practically buy anything on Amazon and have it delivered to your house within two days. You can practically buy a horse on Amazon. <laughs> right. And so you got to make it easy for the consumer. You got to find out what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. And so the last P, the most important P to all entrepreneurs is profits. Yep. (laughs) And everybody's like, Michelle, why do you put profits last? Well, the reason I put profits last is because lack of profits is never the problem. Okay. Lack of profits is never the problem. I have people that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profits problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. No, you have a process problem. It's a symptom of not running or operating on one of the other five Ps. If you don't have the right people in place, you're going to have a profits problem. Mm. If your product industry is dying and not in demand, you're going to have lack of profits. If your processes are not designed with the customer experience in mind and upsetting customers, you're going to lose market share. You're going to lose profits. Same thing with proprietary. If you haven't protected your IP, it's going to cost you money and it's going to decrease your profits. Okay. So profits stem from everything else. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So if you're running all five cylinders, you'll be profitable. You'll be profitable. Okay. Yeah. And then the other big thing too is embezzlement. You know, I was just talking on a mm. podcast yesterday and he's like, Michelle, you know, I went to do this horrible embezzlement, $1.5 million. The guy was his partner. There are, gosh, I, I forget what the statistics are, but one out of so many companies have to deal with embezzlement issues. That's like a processes. You got to make sure you have processes in there to trust but verify, inspect what you expect, and make sure that you have checks and balances in place so you're not getting ripped off. Wow. It's like, I forget, I think it was Grant Cardone said, when you get to new levels, there's new devils. So like as you're growing and as you're improving, like you got to worry and you got to kind of plan and be strategic about all these things because new things can happen and show up. Joyce Meyer says that too. <laughs> Does, okay. I don't, yeah, I can't remember who I said, but yeah, new I've heard levels, that before. Devils, yeah. yeah. Which is true, which is true because it's not what we know that gets us in trouble. It's what we don't know. Yep, absolutely. And this is a great six P's, your exit model. So, so much valuable information, just what we've went over here and what you shared with us. And so thank you for that. It just changes kind of the thought process in my mind right now, where I am with business and what I need to kind of shift and start implementing. So thanks for sharing that. I think there's a lot of information people can run with from this. Obviously, connect with you, get your book when it comes out. We'll talk more about that in a second. But before we kind of get to that, one question I do ask of my guests that has to do with the pencil leadership, the fifth trait, 
we're all created uniquely with a purpose to leave a positive mark on the world. And so with that being said, when everything is said and done for you here, what do you hope your positive mark on the world is? Well, you know, hopefully I'll leave a positive mark on my child and my husband. But other than that, the world, you know, my passion, my mission is to help save the America economy by saving one mm. business at a time from going out of business. That's awesome. Yeah, it's needed because you see so many kind of hit that bankruptcy or fail because of that. So a small business is the backbone of the U.S. economy. We have over 30.2 small businesses employing over half the U.S. workforce. When you lose small business, you lose jobs. When you lose jobs, you lose spending power, which loses more small businesses. So it's like a trickle-down effect. So that's my mission is to help save the American economy by saving one business owner at a time from going out of business. That's really great. And so, again, the six Ps, the STGPS exit model. Guys, start if you're listening, if you've taken notes, if you haven't, go back and take some notes so you can get going in the right direction with that end goal of selling in mind. Michelle, though, where can people connect with you at best? And then tell us a little bit more about your book that's coming out. Sure. So you can go to SalarTucker.com, which is my main website. It's got my phone number. Everything is right there at SalarTucker.com. And so Exit Rich is coming out in June, but you don't have to wait till June. You can go to ExitRichBook.com right now. We will email you the digital download today so you can start reading Exit Rich immediately. We'll send the hardcover to your doorstep. Plus, we'll give you a lifetime membership to Exit Rich Book Club, where there's lots of video content of me doing deep dives in some of these different strategies and techniques that I've practiced over the last 20 years in the trenches, plus documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. Plus, we're giving you a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs which is a mastermind, entrepreneur mastermind, where we help ask those transformational questions so business owners can really build a sustainable, scalable business so when they're ready, they will have a sellable asset so they too can exit rich. All of that for $24.79. Wow. Michelle, so grateful for you taking time out to share this on Pencil Leadership today. And we look forward to everyone getting their hands on that book, that information, and, and for your release date in June. So thanks again for being on Pencil Leadership. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. It was my pleasure. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.